Uh, I am loving being here. This is a great, great time. I mean, I have had an opportunity to do some real fun stuff and uh, meet many of you. I've, I've had a chance to kind of sit down around meals and stuff and to hear some of your stories. And I was just thinking, I want to know all your stories. Maggie, where's Maggie? Where's Maggie? Thank you. That was awesome. I, I just... I just so appreciate hearing your story. I, just, I love hearing people's stories of how God connects with them and, and the fact that you were so forthright saying, I'm, <clears throat> swallow, I'm ready. So God bless you. And uh, I also, from the suburb of the Apples, <laughs> Eastview High School, my kids, whoop, whoop. Uh, really? We'll have to get together. <laughs> uh, so we have uh, been chatting a bit. Uh, we've been talking uh, uh, yesterday about these places that God might be drawing us to, these places that God wants us to experience the fullness of the life that he has for us. But there are hurdles in the way, lots of different kinds of hurdles. We kind of practice the process of maybe just turning over some of those burdens, some of those places and situations into God's hands, trying to create the image in your mind, reminding you that God has open hands. He longs to receive those so that you can get to that next place that he wants you to be. We talked about how we have to kind of live within certain boundaries, not only for our mental, physical safety, but so that we can kind of experience it. God's blessings are going to be in certain places. And if we're there, we might get to experience those. And there's lots of reasons why we don't necessarily do that. And one is it was just whether or not we really trust God enough. Do, do we trust God enough that he is a God of his word, that God will do what he says he'll do, that we will be where we need to be? And, you know, uh, trust is a big deal. And trust is, is fleeting. We, we can say at one point, yeah, I really trust God. And then the next moment, and this situation will come along, we're going, yeah, but I don't know if God's good enough for that one, this situation. I know that's true in my own life. I... I uh, Worked uh, in Apple Valley, actually, before we lived there. There used to be a lot of gravel pits and things like that. And there was a company called Apple Valley Redimix that made concrete. And they had uh, also worked in gravel pits and things like that. And uh, I actually, uh, 19 years old, started to work for Apple Valley Redimix. And uh, I learned right away in this job that if you ever said to one of your bosses that you didn't know how to do something, well, you just never got to do it again. And they would give you something that they were quite certain you could do. Like they would hand you a shovel or a grease gun, which was the worst job, filling grease shirts. So you always said, yeah, I, I, I can do that, no problem. I remember one day my boss came and he says, I want you to go over to this gravel pit. There's a huge area that has, had been a dump at one time, and we're just getting ready to the place where we're going to start excavating that area, and we're going to need all that garbage, all the metal scraps and all that stuff that's there. We need to get all that sorted out and get it out there so we can go in there and start working. So I want you to take that front end loader and I want you to take it over there and I want you to start digging into that hill and sorting out all that stuff. And I go, okay, front end loader, okay. <laughs> there were three big, huge machines sitting there. I knew what a road grader was. I knew that wasn't it. The other two... Front end loader, trash excavator. Which one of those you want me to take there, boss? He says, that's really funny. And he pointed. All right, I'll take that over. He goes, now don't forget as I'm walking towards the front end loader. Figure out how to start it. Get, I walk over. He says, don't forget, they don't have brakes. 
Right, of course. Breaks. So don't forget to downshift. Got it. So, you know, you know what a front-end loader is? One of those huge machines, big buckets. They move snow and dirt, and it's got like a nine-yard bucket. Huge weight. I mean, crazy machine. Awesome machine. <laughs> so, first day, super careful, super in charge, control, right, you know? Digging in, filling up this thing carefully driving this thing down. Because what you had to do, because they did originally when you buy it, they do come with brakes. I think it, there's got to be a rule for that or something. So it has brakes, but, but they wear out because it's this huge machine and these brakes are not really meant to last forever and they're very expensive to replace. And so they, they figured out, these people who do this all the time, full time, is that you just come up to the spot where you're going to be and then you just downshift, downshift, downshift till you're going slow enough, throw it in reverse, thing stops. Perfect. How hard can that be? So I remember, you know, a whole day digging, digging up this dirt, moving it over, dumping it, sorting the stuff. I was, they were paying me $12 an hour to do this. I'd do it for free. So we're, I'm having a great time. Show up the next day. Amnesia had set in. And so I go to pick up my first load, and, and I'm barreling down this hill. Now, my boss's son is actually directly in front of me. He's loading a bulldozer onto a low bed trailer. He's driving up this ramp and he's driving. And I'm coming down the hill and he's driving the bulldozer right in front of me. And I'm coming down the hill. I'm really coming down the hill. And there's my boss's son. I probably shouldn't hit him for lots of reasons. So I throw it in reverse. Because that's, wait, wasn't there some steps before that? Slow it down, slow it down. Throw it in reverse. You throw it in reverse and you know what happens? It stalls. That means it turns off. When it turns off, it means you can't control it any longer. I mean, it's all hydraulics and things. And so it shuts off. You've got this huge piece of machine careening down this hill out of control. I, I'm going to kill my boss's son. There's no other way around this. I, I can't stop it. There's no brakes. There's, uh, I'm just kind of watching what's going to happen. I see the look on his face start to explode with emotions. Like, what is he doing? I figure out I have no other place to turn. I have nowhere else to go. I have no other options and choices. So I throw my hands up in the air and I say, Lord Jesus, save me. <laughs> to this day, I have no idea. All I know is the front end bucket dropped to the ground, full of nine yards of dirt and metal and stuff like that. It hit the ground so hard, it completely changed the course of the front end loader. So I'm going, ah, save me, Jesus. Boom. Ah. Here's my boss's son. Here's me. <laughs> no idea. No idea. Other than miraculous intervention. Anybody who drives in front of the Lord, if you've got an answer for me, I'm ready. I've been doing this for 25 years. Bring it. 
I still don't know, other than the fact that God intervened. So you'd say to yourself, you have a tangible example of how God from heaven sent angels to miraculously intervene to save that boss's son's life on your behalf. You're good to go. No. The summer before my senior year in high school, I had the opportunity, I don't know if I've told you this, but I had a chance to go to Alaska. <laughs> Jill, did you know that I went to Alaska? No, I just wondered if you knew that. She didn't know last night. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> come on, I know her, I could do that. Doesn't matter. Uh, so anyway, we started uh, with Teen Missions. We went to Merritt Island, Florida to do a mission in 90 miles outside of Juneau, Alaska. All right. So we go down to Merida, Florida, and guess what? We're going to get on a school bus, and we're going to drive all the way there. 24 hours a day, and uh, we had these little, these little beds that came, they pulled out, and we all could sleep on these. And... Nightmare. So we, uh, we go down and do our two weeks of training. We get on this bus, and we start heading towards Juneau, Alaska. Each one of us had to take turns staying up all night with the driver. And so we would drive 24 hours a day. It was going to take about a week to get there. Now, this was back in the late 70s. Uh, the Alcan Highway is still dirt. It's, it's, it's not been paved yet. And so it's quite an adventure. And so you have to plan pretty carefully of where the gas stations will be and where the situation, you know. So, you know, you're not out in the middle of nowhere and you run out of gas and it would be a big problem. So we had a map, and it was all charted out and carefully planned. And we're just having a great time driving all the way to Juneau, Alaska. This team is really bonding together. And, you know, it's like having worship all the time. We're singing, and we're just sharing stories. And it's, it's pretty awesome because we've got nothing else to do. We're trapped in this bus. Uh, I remember one night, we're on the Alcan. And we're, you know, in the middle, we're seeing northern lights, spectacular northern lights and and stars, I mean, it's amazing. So I'm up one night uh, with the driver, and we're talking, we're having a great time, and we're driving along. And all of a sudden, we recognize the fact that uh, we're going to need to stop for gas in a little bit. That's okay, it's all charted out. We know exactly where the gas stations are going to be. So we roll up, and that gas station had gone out of business. That's all right. There'll be another one. So we uh, keep driving, and we keep driving, and we keep driving, and we could see the gas gauges going, Lord. We prayed. We prayed out loud, Lord Jesus, you know, we know that you have provided for us. You're taking care of us. You know, we're on a mission for you, for goodness sake. So you've got this all worked out. And we're still talking and going along, and we're recognizing the gas gauges get lower and lower, and God's not coming through. And I remember we got to the top of this hill, and as we get over the crest of this hill, we run out of gas. And so we go down, we coast as far as we can. And as we're going down the hill, I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember the frustration now turns to anger. Like, what? We have given up our time and our energy and our resources. We've got on a mission for you. We're going up to talk to these people about you, Jesus. And that, that's all you got? We, 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 you can't even provide gas for us? Really? I remember just thinking, 
I am so mad. I'm so disappointed. Disappointment that led to anger. That God, the God that I had created in my mind, the things that he was supposed to be doing, somehow just, he didn't live up to my expectation. Has that ever happened to you? And I remember just going back to grab some sleep. The driver looked at me and said, well, we got nothing to do with my sleep. We'll figure this thing out tomorrow. You know, this is before cell phones and all that good stuff. So I remember going, going back and I just said, God, man, you really blew it. And I, exactly. <laughs> That's what he said. So I go to sleep, just mad anger. And I didn't really sleep much, but I kind of woke up early and it was kind of first light. And I get up and I start walking towards the front of the bus and I'm going to sit down in the driver's seat and plop down the seat and I'm just ready to start that same place. I was frustrated and mad again. And I look out the front windshield of the bus just as the gas station was opening <laughs> 50 yards away. <laughs> Got it. All right, back on track. <laughs> you and me, God. Woo! <laughs> you know, so temporary, so, so fleeting. Fast forward a few years now. My wife had had to have emergency surgery right before Easter. So we take her in. She's got some recovery to do. And she says, Jeff, you know what? You're going to have to handle the Easter baskets this year. <laughs> Actually, guys, this is like a public service announcement for you right now. <laughs> Pay attention. I learned some things that you're going to want to know. I said, no problem. Got it. You know, I've seen a thousand of those. I can make an Easter basket. How hard can that be? I'll make an Easter basket for the kids and we'll hide it. And they won't even know that you weren't involved. No problem. Plan to go the night before Easter to get that stuff for them. <laughs> Time management. You know, I got it all squared away. No problem. So uh, myself and about nine other men are at, uh, at Target now in Egan. Uh, and uh, we're looking through the Piles of open green grass, <laughs> peeps, no chocolate. So I'm thinking, oh, I can figure this out. And so I, I, I don't know, I just put a bunch of stuff in my cart and snicker bars or something. <laughs> figured chocolate's chocolate and thought to myself, I'm going to pay for this. I'm standing in line trying to rehearse my speech to my wife. And uh, as I'm standing there, I'm cognizant of the fact that there are some voices. You know, you're standing at a target. Oftentimes right in front of you is like the return desk. You know, where people bring their stuff back and they, they're talking to us. And I can hear voices kind of escalating. Actually, one voice. And I, I kind of look over and I, here's this man. Big man. <laughs> big man. And he's leaning against the counter and he is talking very loudly to this high school girl behind the counter. And she's explained to him that what he brought in didn't come from Target. It's that we can't take it back. Now, I should tell you that as I'm standing there and I'm cognizant of this happening, I also realized that the manager of the store is right over here in the pharmacy. Right, right over there, right there. I know that he can hear what's going on. But he's not doing anything. Matter of fact, none of us are doing anything and we're watching this Full-grown man just berate this high school girl. She's up against the bins. And he is leaning over the counter. I can't repeat what she was saying. It got bad. 
So all of a sudden I was like, really? So I remember walking over to him and uh, kind of standing to his side and I said, sir, you need to calm down. At which point he starts saying a few choice words to me. And I said, sir, you need to calm down. And so he kind of pushes me aside and starts back on this high school girl. At which point I stepped in between him and he had brought back his hand to this point. He was going to strike me. When all of a sudden here comes two Egan police officers. You see, they, another guy had saw this escalating and he realized that there was an Egan police car sitting right out in front of the Target store and he went out and got, and that e, those Egan police officers came in and saved that guy's life. <laughs> At which point, here comes the store manager. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. So I was thinking to myself, how many stories? And some of you guys have been on the journey of faith for some time. How many stories do you have to collect in your life? Story where you go, got it. Good to go. Not going to question anymore. Not going to challenge. Not going to wonder anymore. Trusting that God is going to prevail right when he needs to. He's going to come through right when he needs to. Going to be there when I need him to be there, just in the perfect way. How many things have got to happen in your life? And I got more stories. But yet every time I face that challenge, every time there's that question that comes, every time that's that thing, I can't see the end of it. I can't figure out what's going to happen next. Somehow I go back to ground zero and start over again. God, are you going to be faithful? God, are you going to show up? God, are you trustworthy? Then I start there again. There's a passage in Mark 12. It's a very interesting piece of scripture. You should read, actually, the verses, uh, start in verse 1 and work your way through chapter 12. There's this theological debate that's going on because, you know, the Pharisees and scribes are always trying to catch Jesus in something to kind of undo his ministry. And, uh, and there's an interesting dialogue that's going on. And then all of a sudden, one of the scribes turns to Jesus and says, now, what's the greatest commandment? Yeah, you know this passage, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Basically, what he's saying is you just got to love God. You just got to flat out love God. And you're going to know that you're on track when what? When you're loving your neighbor as yourself. You're going to have figured out you, and you're going to have figured out your neighbor. And that's because you understand your relationship with God. Just love God with everything. And it's interesting because this scribe then goes on to say, yeah, because if you do that, you know, that's far above all the burnt offerings and all your, and Jesus looks at him and goes, you're not too far from the kingdom of God. Keep on that track. You're about right there because you didn't figure that out on your own. It's a great passage. But right there in the midst is how do we love God? How are we supposed to really love God? With everything. Well, how do we get to that place? We've got to get to the place where that he's worthy, right? He's trustworthy. He's worthy of all of our everything. <laughs> and how do we get there? I don't know for you. I know for me. It's just a challenge. But there's a very interesting piece of scripture just two chapters later in 14. It's, a, it's an awesome little story about a character that kind of pops up through scripture 
I thought maybe I would read it to you quickly because, you know, time goes by fast. Mark 14, verse 3. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very costly ointment of nard. And she broke up in the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was that ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. And that money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you. You can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, whenever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. I love this story. This is a great story. There is so much in this story to unpack. Love the Lord your God with everything. We, we know this Mary. Matter of fact, in the other Gospels, we get to figure out who this is. It's, it's, it's Martha's sister Mary. It's Lazarus' sister Mary. It's Martha the one, let's get the house all squared away and get the meal where Mary, stop learning from Jesus and get over here and help me with the potatoes. And of course, we know, guess what? Jesus goes, no, let's not worry about all that. She's doing what's most important. That's who this is. It's that Mary who has seen something happen miraculously in her life. She has heard from Jesus. Something has changed her whole life to the point where this is a great story. Where are the Jesus and likely his disciples? <coughs> They're at the home of a leper. Okay, first of all, you got to unpack that a little bit. They're at the house of a leper. First of all, in that custom, that culture, to be in that house meant that you were going to have to go through all kinds of ritualistic cleaning. You just, well, first of all, let's just cut to the chase. You just don't hang out with lepers. You just don't for so many reasons. First of all, you could get it. Bad. Second of all, you have to do all kinds of things to be right with God if you come into contact with lepers. Lepers used to have to yell out as they came into town, unclean, unclean, so people could scatter. And here they are, not just at the house, not at the doorway, offering a nice greeting, being a good minister, you know. No, sitting at the table, having dinner with a leper. You can imagine the disciples are like, really? Really? All the houses we could be at, we're going to go to his house? Really? Good disciples. They're sitting there. They've got nothing better to do because they're so worried about catching leprosy now. That here comes this woman. First of all, what's she doing? Why is she there? She's not serving. She's, wait, what is she doing? She now comes and she sits at Jesus' feet. What is she doing here? This is men only. Why is, why is she here? So for her to get from the door to where they are, she's probably like, where are you going? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you, doing? What are you, doing? you know, stop what you're doing. So, no, you can't go in there. What? She's going to Jesus. 
And what does she do? She takes out her family inheritance. That's what this was. This, this jar of nard, which was worth a, a year's salary, this was probably this is their family wealth. And she, she might have been wearing it even around her neck. It's kind of a, what's that word? Amulet? 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 Whatever it is. Thing around her neck. Family wealth. And she walks in, kneels at his feet, and then, this is what scripture, breaks the top off. At first glance, you go, well, of course, that's how you get it out. Well, no, that's not really what it's suggesting here. The suggestion is she's not trying to save anything. Jesus is going to get it all. This whole year's worth of resource, he's going to get it all. We know it's a big deal. Why? Because the disciples start to groan and moan. I love this part of the scripture. <laughs> I love it. Because they're like, being a good disciple, I'm recognizing the stewardship involved here. This is not good use of those resources. You know, our job is to care for the poor. Right, Jesus? She's wasting all this stuff. We could have sold that and lots of people could have eaten. You can almost sense the smirk on Jesus' Swing and a miss again. <laughs> nice try. And what does he say to him? I love this. Wait, when have I ever kept you from helping the poor? Why is this the big hurdle for us helping the poor people? We see poor people all the time. Did you give up your lunch yesterday for anybody poor? No. Did I tell you not to do that? There's, there's always opportunities. Nobody's keeping you from doing that. Wrong answer. But what's happening here is really important. She literally is giving her all. She's recognizing there's something in her relationship with me that's worthy of this gift. The most extravagant gift she can come up with. The best that she has to offer. I don't want there to be any mistake. I don't want anyone to be unclear. I'm on Jesus' side. I want him to know that I'm giving him this tremendous gift. And I don't care who knows. So I'll sit here in front of all these men. I'll go to the leper's house. And a couple other points, dramatizing this point. She pours it on his head. He's not married to her. Very intimate act of touching him like this, pouring it on his head. And Mark doesn't say, but the other gospel writers say, uh, John does. And then she uses her hair, to wipe up the excess as it falls onto his feet. She let down her hair in front of men who aren't her husband. Big deal. I don't care who knows. I don't care what you see. All I want Jesus to know is 100%. Mind, soul, body, everything I got, I'm with you. And I don't care who knows, and I don't care what you say. Complete abandonment of any boundaries or concerns or issues like that. Love the Lord God with all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. I love this story. Although it's not an easy story. Because then I have to stop and ask myself, hmm, how do I show Jesus that I love him? What gift do I offer that's worthy of the sacrifice that he made for me? What am I holding back that suggests I'm not fully there? 
What are areas of my life that are off limits to Jesus and the work that he wants to do? What's the message that God has for me that I'm saying, nope, not quite yet. This passage, the commandment from the Old Testament and this passage and others suggest that we can get there. We can. We can get over that hurdle that keeps us from that next place and then get that other hurdle and we can get closer to that. It's a journey. It's a faith journey. It's a life devotion. It's a collection of the stories and the experiences and examples of God's faithfulness that empowers us to face the next one. And then the next one and the next one. And maybe it's just making lunch one day and then two days later it's breaking open that jar of nard. We've got to be where we are. We've got to start where we are. But where should we be? What's the goal of showing God and communicating to him our love and our devotion? Why? So that we can experience what? The fullness of that which he desires for us. Is he trustworthy? Has he shown you in your life and the lives of others around you his faithfulness? Is it enough to go on to build some momentum to that next place? And if you're not quite there, maybe your prayer is, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, an open heart and soul that I might feel that tug, might feel that call, might experience that momentum that draws me to that next place where you want me to be because I want to experience all that you intend for me. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Mary's example of faithfulness, crossing so many boundaries, so many hurdles, so many places where she could have stopped and said, well, can't do it, can't do it. But she loved you, Jesus, and she wanted the world, her world, to know it. And so in an extravagant way, she just offered all that she had, just as you've demanded us and called us to help us to live up to that call, that we might honor you, give you praise and honor and glory as we've just prayed, and that we might experience the fullness of the life you desire for us. Thank you for your promise that if we allow you to, you will bring us on to completion. Before we pray these things in your name. Amen.